Coming up in this episode, the entire eastern sector of Mosul has been liberated, but the Iraqi security forces are running into some serious problems, namely the ingenuity of the Islamic State group. They've used vehicle-borne improvised explosive devices. They've used civilian shields. Uh, and they had dug very elaborate defenses. We're talking about tunnels and berms and emplaced a lot of booby traps to really slow things down. Spokesman for Operation Inherent Resolve, Colonel John Dorian, says as they make progress, the enemy gets more clever. So as the enemy hides in these buildings, and there are more than 200,000 buildings in Mosul, it's just very, very challenging and slow and tedious and dangerous work. The details coming up on this edition of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Target USA is brought to you by TrueCar. When you're looking to buy a car, you want to make sure you're getting real pricing on actual inventory. Unfortunately, a lot of times this isn't the case. People configure cars online only later to find out they're not available. With TrueCar, you get real pricing on actual inventory. This is not pricing offered by TrueCar, but pricing from an actual dealer. And not just any dealer, but a TrueCar certified dealer. This is a carefully curated network of dealers committed to transparency and offering you a competitive marketplace. Using TrueCar, you can easily find the car you want, and TrueCar will show you what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for. Now you'll know what a fair price is so you can feel confident. And TrueCar users save an average of more than $3,000 off MSRP. More than 3 million cars have been sold to TrueCar users by the TrueCar Certified Dealer Network, and there are more than 13,000 TrueCar Certified Dealers nationwide. So when you're ready to buy, visit TrueCar to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features are not available in all states. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile. Capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. Because this has been an election year, most of our attention has been focused on the new president, his national security team, the threats and the problems that face the world and the new Trump administration. And we haven't spoken much about the terror threat from the Islamic State group, but it's still there front and center and today we talk about it with Colonel John Dorian. Uh, it's very dense urban fighting, very dangerous fighting, and the enemy has done a lot to complicate the advance for the Iraqi security forces. What I'm talking about is they've used vehicle-borne improvised explosive devices, they've used civilian shields, uh, and they had dug very elaborate defenses. We're talking about tunnels and berms and emplaced a lot of booby traps to really slow things down. So as the enemy hides in these buildings, 
and there are more than 200,000 buildings in Mosul. Um, it's just very, very challenging and slow and tedious and dangerous work for the Iraqi security forces to clear the city because the enemy is fighting from rooftop level. They're fighting from uh, window level inside of buildings, and they're fighting below ground because they pop up out of the tunnels that they've had a chance to dig over the last two years. And that's just made it kind of slow going. The good news uh, is that the city is entirely surrounded by the Iraqi security forces. Uh, the enemy doesn't have the ability to resupply or reinforce their fighters at all. Uh, so time is really on the side of the Iraqi forces. It's, uh, it's dangerous, it's tough, it's slow, uh, but they are making progress. They're going forward and the enemy is going backwards. And eventually, they're going to liberate this city. So as I understand it, there have been some reports that you may have some recent or new intelligence about Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, and it seems to suggest that he may still be in Mosul. What can you say about that? Well, if, uh, if we knew where he was, he would be struck and killed immediately. Um, I know that this is a, an issue that's uh, gotten quite a bit of attention. Indeed, the State Department has also put out an award where they've increased uh, the reward money for information that leads to Baghdadi's capture or killing. Uh, that's $25 million for that information. Uh, but we don't have exact fidelity on where he is. And if we did, believe me, uh, the coalition would take advantage of that at once. So what kind of fidelity do you have on that? Do you have a ballpark idea? Well, we believe he's still alive. Uh, but as far as where he is specifically, we just don't have, uh, don't have that level of fidelity. We've, uh, we've, we're tracking him very actively. Um, you know, for, for anything that would uh, give us an indication of where he's hiding, uh, and indeed, you know, again, this, uh, increased reward money, we, uh, would, uh, consider that a bargain to get good fidelity on where he is. Uh, and we continue to make progress. And as, as uh, you know, areas are liberated, what happens is there's intelligence information that's found uh, and analyzed, processed, and uh, certainly will be acted upon. Uh, but all of that work is ongoing and we don't have good fidelity on where he is, uh, but we're working to increase our visibility on that picture each and every day. One other question on that. Do you think he's still in Mosul or far afield from there? Very difficult to ascertain if he's in Mosul or, or somewhere else. Uh, one of the things that we have tried to do is to attack uh, the command and control network of the enemy. And one of the things that that does uh, as that... Uh, command and control is degraded, uh, it increases the chances that the enemy will make a mistake and someone will divulge useful information that we can use to track him. So we'll continue that effort uh, as we uh, continue to support the Iraqi security forces. We'll continue to exploit that uh, intelligence information that we can find as areas are liberated. It's a really important part of the campaign. Uh, but we still don't have that fidelity on where he is, and we're looking for that each and every day.
I've heard from sources that he may actually have been involved in the authorization and ordering of attacks, specifically the one in Turkey uh, at the nightclub. Do you believe he has that kind of capability at this point? You know, uh, there's not really any way for us to tell for sure. Um, this is something that, uh, you know, we're, we're out there trying to gather information about every day. We do know that uh, if he had the ability to command and control in that way, he would most certainly do so. He has been responsible for attacks around the world. Uh, and so we're going to continue to keep pressure on this enemy until he's found uh, and he's uh, brought to justice. But you want some involvement there. How many advisors and folks that are directly connected with this effort are there? And can you give us a sense of how that compares to previous numbers? Well, we've got about 450 U.S. advisors that are working with the Iraqi security forces around Iraq. Uh, we increased that number by about 10 percent, around 40, uh, an increase of about 40 right around Mosul. And this was done to help work with the Iraqi security forces to increase the amount of coordination and synchronization between their forces that are operating in the city. This is an important piece because uh, what we've seen and one of the reasons why it's been slow going early on is that the uh, Iraqi counterterrorism service uh, was leading the advance, and they were doing a lot of the fighting and some of the other elements of the Iraqi army and the Iraqi federal police uh, were more static and not making progress along several axes. So what we've tried to do is we've increased that coordination, very similar fashion to what our army and our ground forces do, uh, so that they can uh, start attacking from multiple uh, axes of advance. And what this does is it gives the enemy more problems to solve than they have fighters, resources, and command and control capability to manage. So uh, the Iraqis are making good progress since they restarted phase two of their operation to liberate Mosul on December 29th. Now, you've talked about the increase of 10% or another 40 advisors or so. When was that increase enacted? That increase was enacted whenever the Iraqis started phase two. So that's been in the last couple of weeks here. Uh, they've, uh, you know, started uh, operations on phase two on December 29th. Since that time, uh, they've been able to make significant progress, uh, you know, despite the fact that the enemy is uh, still very dangerous, and they, they are definitely uh, still conducting very dangerous attacks, including against civilian areas that have been liberated. Have you found any updated information that uh, has led you to any sort of, sort of conclusions about the flow of foreign fighters in the engagement in this conflict? Well, we, we have uh, continued to attack foreign fighters, and we have seen evidence of them being around. Any time that we... Uh, get intelligence information and liberate an area, um, that means that uh, you're going to find things that can be analyzed like computers, other electronic devices, uh, documents, pocket litter, uh, and then you can talk sometimes to people that are in the area and get additional insight into who's there and what they're doing. So this is an impart important part of the campaign. The Iraqis are hard at it uh, in you know, getting this type of insight 
and we're there uh, to assist them. That's one of the areas where we have advisors to help. So let's talk about that pocket litter or the documents or computers that you found recently. What have they told you about the fight and about the enemy? Well, we're getting a lot of information about what's going on in Mosul, um, not just from the documents, pocket litter and that kind of thing, but also what you find in these areas. So we've found uh, evidence that this enemy has a a uh, manufacturing capability for weapons that's on par with some nation states. And this is an important element because they've made no uh, secret of their desire to create chemical weapons. Uh, and this is not something that we want to wait around and let them get good at. So uh, it's very important that we continue pressuring them and continue to make progress in liberating these key areas like Mosul and then in Syria, uh, Raqqa. Uh, and we'll, we'll continue to uh, prosecute the campaign. It's, a, it's an important first step in the, the de- ultimate demise of this organization. It's a curious point you make about their capability for manufacturing weapons being on par with some nation states. And obviously, uh, I'm certain the the capability is there. Uh, But do they have the capability that you would find in a large country? Or are you talking smaller countries or mid-sized? Well, what we're talking about is they have uh, subject matter experts who can machine weapons uh, that are on par with what are manufactured in some states. So it is literally a manufacturing operation. So we're finding these things, um, and this is, uh, it's really something that uh, is unique to this organization. Again, one of the things about ISIL that's different from Al Qaeda and some of the other organizations that we've faced in the past is that they have aspirations to be a state and operate like a state. And one of the things that they do to legitimize themselves are to try to create manufacturing, to create governance, uh, and all this sort of thing. So um, there's an entire infrastructure that they have, uh, you know, in their governance apparatus uh, to create weapons uh, and to distribute them to their fighters. And this is not a problem that we are going to admire. It's a problem that we're going to solve uh, by pushing them out of any area that they control. You know, that is a huge development there. And obviously, it's not a new thing, but certainly we're finding out about it right now, uh, certainly because of that comparison you make, considering that this organization has been under withering pressure for a long time by the coalition. And that pressure has been increased almost at every level for the last months, the fact that they still have those subject matter experts there and bureaucrats there and technocrats or whatever you want to call them still working for this organization is pretty amazing. And is that indeed the case or is this just leftover technology or expertise from before people started to run and hide or are these folks truly actively engaged? Well, I think what we're seeing is we're seeing a severely degraded enemy Um but they are still a very dangerous one. And uh, their apparatus uh, still exists. uh, And even though it's been degraded, uh, one of the things about this enemy, that this is um, an organization that sprung up from the ash heap of Al-Qaeda in Iraq. And it took them three years 
from being largely defeated in 2011 to reemerging as ISIS or ISIL, uh, and you know, really becoming a, an extremely dangerous organization in Syria and Iraq and around the world. And that took just three years for them to reconstitute in that way. So, you know, another key element of this thing is we have to keep pressure on them uh, and push them out of Syria and Iraq. Uh, and then there are other locations around the world because they are a resilient and determined enemy. And they're not going to go away unless they're made to go away. And that's what we're in the process of doing right now. And do you believe those subject matter experts are just as dedicated to staying until the very last P is out of the dish as those true believer foreign fighters are? Well, um, right now, it really doesn't matter that much. Uh, anybody that's left in Mosul is really pretty much completely surrounded uh, by Iraqi security forces. So... Uh, they have very little chance to get out. Um, it's probably not completely non-existent, but it is going to be extraordinarily difficult to do because the entire city is surrounded by Iraqi security forces. And we have a tremendous number of eyes in the sky that are watching for people to try to escape. Uh, that's going to be very, very difficult to do. So uh, those technocrats and those experts and all that um, some of them may have uh, escaped earlier, um, but anybody who's left is going to be um, subject to some very difficult circumstances, I think. We're in 2017 now, obviously. Looking at the operation to degrade and destroy this 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 organization, ISIL or ISIS, um, do you see a 2.0 coming along? Well, one of the things about this organization is they're trying to create a generational problem. So, J.J., one of the things that I saw recently in their propaganda magazine, I saw a full-page ad, um, and this ad f was for an uh, app that ISIL had created, and the purpose of that app is to indoctrinate children into this way of thinking. So, um, you know, the longer that we have this organization where they control territory and they control population, the more dangerous that they become because they are indoctrinating another generation of young people into this kind of thinking. And so there's gonna have to be some tremendous follow-on work done uh, once they've been defeated in population centers like Mosul and Raqqa. Um, they really can't be allowed to spring up in other locations because anywhere that they uh, control the population, they're trying to indoctrinate young people into their way of thinking. And that's not a problem that we can allow to exist. Let's talk a few numbers for the moment. Uh, sorties, strikes, how much all of this is costing. Where are we on all of that? Well, we've, uh, we've conducted... Um, a tremendous number of strikes. So in Iraq and Syria, we're talking about uh, about 18,000 strikes. Uh, that's uh, with uh, aircraft and artillery. In Mosul alone, um, we've dropped something like 9,000 bombs almost. Uh, and this is artillery shells, bombs, missiles, and rockets on various enemy targets. 
So we've destroyed 129 vehicle-borne improvised explosive devices. That's just what the coalition has done with its strikes, and the enemy has destroyed a lot more. We've destroyed uh, 314 buildings and facilities that ISIL has used as headquarters and fighting positions. Um, we've destroyed 127 tunnels in and around Mosul, and these present a tremendous challenge to the Iraqi security forces because if these tunnels are not found, then the, the uh, Iraqis risk having the enemy pop up behind them with automatic weapons. So it's a very dangerous situation. We'll continue to work on that. Uh, they have uh, more than 130,000 internally displaced persons have left the city of Mosul. Uh, to move into uh, IDP camps or into areas where family members and friends can take care of them. And this is uh, people that felt they needed to get out of the city for their own safety. Um, but a lot of progress is being made uh, in Mosul. And we do think that uh, what we're seeing here now is that on the eastern side of the city, things are beginning to loosen up for the Iraqis. They're making progress. And we do expect them to, to uh, probably in the next few weeks finish up the eastern side, and then they'll move on to the western side of the city. It's a city that's nearly the size of Philadelphia. Um, so it's, you know, just a tremendous amount of work that has to be done. Um, as far as uh, work that's being done in Syria, uh, the our partnered force, the Syrian Democratic Forces and the Syrian Arab Coalition that is a part of that force, have begun isolating the city of Raqqa. This is the capital of the Islamic State. Uh, it's very important terrain. It's very important, but insufficient uh, to defeat them there. They will defeat them there, but they'll still be a dangerous organization and they'll still aspire uh, to do terror style attacks and we'll have to keep after them in other locations that they're found. The tunnels, how sophisticated are they? Well, as far as the tunneling under the city, it's, uh, it's really something to see. It's there's, you know, if you look online, um, you can see some of the footage of uh, some of these tunnels as they've been discovered. What they do is they use uh, equipment uh, that's used to dig utilities, you know, tunnels for um, electric or, you know, sewers and, and those types of utilities. And so um, they've had two years to use that type of equipment. So there's a, uh, an extensive tunneling network under some of these population centers, and this is something that takes a lot of time to clear. It's very dangerous, and the Iraqis have to do some of that on the ground. Whenever we see some of that from the air, then we have uh, munitions that we can drop in those tunnels to collapse them, uh, and that's a useful thing to do. We heard not too long ago that the campaign to push ISIL out of Raqqa would start while that campaign in Mosul was underway. So where does that dual track operation stand at this point? Well, we're, uh, we're conducting the first phase of that, which is the isolation of Raqqa. So that's a really important element of it, because what we wanted to do is isolate that city uh, before the enemy has the ability to use it as a launching pad for international terrorism. And make no mistake, Raqqa has been uh, a bubbling undercurrent of terrorist activity, uh, an exporter of terror, and this is why the enemy has to be dislodged from there.
So our Syrian Democratic forces uh, have isolated the city. They've started moving toward it. They're within about uh, 20 miles or so. Um, and they on two axes of advance, one of them um, launching off from Ayan Issa, which is about 30 kilometers uh, north of, uh, of the city. And then uh, also to the west of the city near Tabka Dam, which is very important terrain. And it's also important because it's the largest hydroelectric plant uh, in Syria. And right now that's under ISIL's control. And that adds to their legitimacy and their ability to control things in Raqqa and the surrounding area. So um, we do expect the Syrian Democratic Forces to take that back in the next few days. Um, and we'll continue to support them with uh, our strikes uh, because that's an important element of the campaign in Syria, just like it's been uh, in, in Iraq. Very last thing, Colonel. Is there anything that I haven't asked you about that you think is important? Well, one of the key elements of this entire campaign is that it is our partners who are liberating their areas uh, from this very dangerous threat. And we are just in support. So um, U.S. and coalition forces are here in relatively small numbers, but our capabilities are making a tremendous difference on the battlefield uh, for our partnered forces who continue to make progress against this enemy. The enemy came into these two countries uh, like a conventional army with a lot of swagger, waving black flags with a lot of big columns of heavy equipment. And those days are over. They're going backwards uh, each and every day. Um, and it's a very dangerous situation for uh, you know, Syria and Iraq. Uh, and they'll continue to be dangerous around the world. But make no mistake, what happens in Syria and Iraq uh, matters to the security of the entire world. And our partner forces are doing the heavy lifting and we're supporting them. So um, there are you know, more than uh, 5,000 you know, U.S. forces in the region. Um, I hope that uh, people keep them in their thoughts and prayers. They're doing uh, a tremendous amount of really good work, and people should be very proud of what's happening here because progress is being made. Colonel John Dorian, spokesman for Operation Inherent Resolve, thank you for your time today. Well, you know what? I really appreciate the time, and I, I really like doing these with you. And uh, if you keep me posted when you're getting ready to post it, certainly I'll light it up on my uh, social media sites as well. Coming up in the next episode of Target USA, President Trump revisiting the idea of enhanced interrogation. We are entering in this issue of interrogation techniques a minefield, and it's not clear to me that the president understands how three-dimensional this is. This is not simply a choice of whether the President of the United States tells the CIA to do something. A look into interrogation and terrorism. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. If you want to know what really goes on in the minds of Hollywood celebs like Kate Beckinsale, Rob Lowe, Vince Vaughn, Mindy Kaling, Ewan McGregor, Tandy Newton, The Edge, Kristen Ritter, and many more, then download Off Camera with Sam Jones. Sam goes one-on-one -on -one with Hollywood's A-List and gets real every week.